great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. And I want to give you the latest guidance information from the SBA. You know, from very early on, when Congress passed what is now called the PPP, the Payroll Protection Program, we have been deluged with questions from business owners. And then those questions last week basically stopped. And it turns out the questions stopped at the same time that people completely lost interest in the program, stopped applying for it. There's a huge amount of PPP money still available from the second allocation passed by Congress. And why did people stop participating? Because they got scared. Because there were various things coming out of Washington that made it seem like you were going to go to prison if you didn't fit every single word of either the law or, more importantly, the regulations that have changed over and over and over and over again, issued like a bunch of Keystone cops coming out of Washington from the Treasury Department and the SBA. This has been hard because bureaucracies don't normally move this quickly, and they're very deliberate. In this case, the idea was to get money out as quickly as possible, and so it led to chaos in what people went through applying, uh, what people went through with the documentation requirements, with your application that kept changing. And then once people got approved, a lot of people became afraid to spend the money to save their businesses because of all the publicity coming out about how you could end up as a felon. Well, because of that, there's brand new guidance, which is the latest guidance that says that pretty much you're in safe harbor if the amount of money you borrow from the PPP is under $2 million. And that accounts for, particularly with the second sequence of funds, overwhelmingly people have taken out loans in the range of eighty dollars to $200,000, kind of in that range. Uh, virtually no one of late has been doing the loans that have been in excess of $2 million. Overwhelmingly, those were the problems that occurred at the big banks where they helped publicly traded companies and big entities cheat the rules and push through loans that the program was not designed for. And I don't understand why no one at these big banks is in trouble. But anyway, that's a topic for a different time. So what you should know as a small business owner who needs the funds, it is okay for you to proceed with the PPP. You're not going to be cited for fraud unless you're committing actual fraud. There was some guy who apparently took the loan money and went out and bought fancy jewelry. That's not what this is for. This is for you being able to meet payroll and expenses for your business. So if you're doing a loan less than $2 million, it is self-certification that you qualify for the loan program under the idea that 
you could not continue to have the necessary cash flow for your business otherwise, essentially. I could give you the exact wording, but it's not important because all you have to do is good faith certification, which is to, in fact, I'll read this sentence of it. Economic uncertainty makes this loan request necessary to support the ongoing operations of the applicant, period. On the other hand, businesses with more than $2 million in loans are where there's going to have to be much more than self-certification. They're going to have to prove that there were no other sources of funds. Think about publicly traded companies. They can go to the bond market. They can do various debt instruments. They can do various stock issuances. And they probably have access to bank loans. They just saw this as free money for a publicly traded company. That's why so many of them, in the harsh light of day, have now returned their loans. And there was a, there was a period of time that was an amnesty period where companies that the big banks helped cheat the system were given to return the funds without being subject to criminal prosecution. And so if you are a small business, you got scared off by this, or you got frustrated where you couldn't do an application before, now you can find institutions that are processing these loans, particularly small local banks, credit unions, and what are known as fintechs, non-traditional lenders to businesses that are processing these loans. If you're trying to figure out what that means, that's people like PayPal taking these applications and processing them. And people are being able to be processed and have funds in their hands right now, believe it or not, in four days' time. So the system that wasn't working last month is now fully functioning, and people are saying they don't want the money. The other reason people have been afraid to take the money, not just being worried about being prosecuted, is the straitjacket of rules on loan forgiveness. The loan becomes a grant, or the portion you use for eligible activities becomes a grant under the current rules if in the first 60 days you use the money overwhelmingly for payroll and that you have payroll and employment consistent with what you did have before coronavirus, which means for a lot of businesses, hiring people back, which for a number of cases is not practical if there's no business at your business. So that's really more about your individual activity. 75% of the forgiveness has to be for payroll. The other 25% for other eligible overhead activities like paying a mortgage if you own the property for your business, paying rent, certain utilities. But the thing is, a lot of businesses are more heavily overhead central away from payroll than payroll itself. There's been a strong push in Congress to change that formula for forgiveness turning into grants and don't know how that's going to play. There was nothing in the original congressionally passed law that required the weirdo formulas that the Treasury Department came up with. So there may be some changes in that. For that reason, if you are someone who could benefit from the money for your business, you can consider going forward with an application 
And if you later decide not to proceed to, you know, they say you're approved, you decide not to proceed, they say, okay, but you'll already be in the funnel if the rules become more favorable to you for loan forgiveness and, in fact, turning it into a grant. And so you'd already be ready. You could even go a step further and get the loan, knowing that if you end up not being eligible to use it substantially for forgiveness, you can just pay the loan back. The maximum interest rate is 1% a year for the first two years. So lots of flexibility with it outside of that straitjacket of what creates forgiveness turning into a grant. And that's why even though businesses decided this was too difficult, it's really not. It's time for your questions. If you post for me at clark.com slash ask, producers Kim and Joel alternate asking your questions. And Kim, who are you starting with? Today, it's Eric. He's from Georgia. And he says, I found out that Marriott is offering a 20% discount on gift cards this week. I plan on using them on July 4th and Christmas. Is this a safe deal to take? So Marriott is the world's largest hotelier. And in terms of what's going to happen with them and with other hotel operators, I've seen recently how much their revenue has declined and it's kind of unbelievable the uh, revenue of the big hotel chains is down somewhere around 80 to 80 uh, 80 to 90 percent so it's not clear who all is going to survive going forward i would say a july trip with marriott no doubt that you'll be fine with that and getting 20 percent extra value Uh, sounds like a good bet. On the other hand, we don't know what the fall is going to be like with coronavirus, and we don't know who's going to fail along the way. December, that's a little more questionable with any hotel chain at this point. Uh, So I'd say buy enough that covers the summer trip, but I would not buy more that would also cover the trip this winter. Joel? Clark Ron in Indiana says, Hi, Clark and team. Thanks so much for keeping us informed. Clark, I have a ton of vacation time saved up, and my job is luckily safe. Is it selfish or unwise to take a week off this summer and get to a beach on the East Coast? I need some time away, but don't want to be part of the problem of being selfish and and potentially putting others at risk. It's not selfish to take care of yourself. And I have a brother who lives uh, directly on the beach in Florida, And he's been sending me pictures that when the beach first opened up, they were unsafely crowded. And now it's back to a more normal seasonal activity. And he's sent me a picture yesterday that showed people properly spread out in their family groups. I don't think there's any issue or problem with you going on a summer vacation You know, we're going to be living with coronavirus, if you believe the experts, for the next two to four years. We're going to move into disease management phase, and we're going to have to resume our lives in ways that are more thoughtful and more careful. There will be those among us that will be uh, taking unnecessary risks and will be careless with our own lives or with others. But I think for the most part, 
people will adjust and will live their lives in a way that's both safe and fulfilling. And in your case, like roughly three quarters of Americans, it's looking like are going to pretty much stay employed through coronavirus. You should not feel any guilt about taking that paid time off and going and enjoying your vacation. Makes you a better worker later anyway. Kim? Bruce in New York says, my wife and I co-signed two school loans for my youngest daughter before I even knew what I was doing. She doesn't have a dime now and I'm stuck paying it because with the U.S. Department of Education 7.5 and 7.0 interest rate, it is adding up very quickly. Is there anywhere that I can refi these loans? You potentially can and... You know, generally, federal student loans have better borrower protections than private. Well, they don't generally. They always have better borrower protections than private student loans. But if your credit score is really good, you, especially in today's low-rate environment, should be able to refi those loans into a fixed rate at a better deal. And one of the people who is big in that business is SoFi, they really are the ones that built a huge business for student loan refinancing. And they borrow money at where the marketplace is. And so the rates right now are very favorable. They're able to, if your credit is thawed, they're able to give you a quote typically on what rate they would offer you in about, oh, under five minutes. And there are others that compete with them. So knowing that you're giving up the borrower protections, but that you may be able to lower your interest rate substantially from 7 to 7.5% would be worth doing that refi. When times are tough, we often see the best in people. And that's why each day we're doing the Clark Rave, where I talk about somebody who, in times of adversity, is really doing wonderful things. And I want to start with something that wasn't great at all. A guy who owns a pizza restaurant, a Marco's Pizza, in a suburb of Dallas, was burglarized recently. And he could have descended into bitterness after he was burglarized, but he realized the way the break-in was done that these were not professionals. You know, he's got video of it, and uh, Dallas TV station did a story about what this guy has done since. His name is Jamal, and he said, the people who came and robbed me could have asked for food and would have gotten that, gotten more than what they were able to steal, and what he decided was that He's going to give food now, give it away to anybody who is struggling financially because they've lost their job because of coronavirus. And he said, there's no need to be shy or embarrassed. Just speak with the manager. Quietly let us know that you've seen this post that he posted on social media, and they'll feed you for free. And I just thought that this was really quite an experience because, you know, having been a business owner, having had somebody commit a crime against me, having suffered financial loss because of it, 
I can tell you it's really easy to be overtaken with anger that descends into bitterness. And in this case, Jamal was like, yeah, this is terrible that I got robbed, but here's the deal. There are a lot of people really suffering. The lesson I'm taking from this is that I'm going to do what I can to serve others. And I'm taking you on your word that you're broke. And we're just going to give you the food if you need it. And I think about this is so much part of the American spirit that we do what we can to help each other. And I hope that we not only maintain that, but that spirit flowers through this tough time. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And I want to talk to you about something that we are having just an epidemic of following the pandemic, and that is people who are finding that their credit has been ruined, that even if they are not late with bills or anything like that, Their credit score is collapsing, and there's all kinds of bad marks that aren't supposed to be there. But I want to add something else to you, and that is under one of the coronavirus relief statutes passed by Congress under the general heading of the CARES Act, there are special rules that even when you can't pay your bills right now, that your credit is not supposed to be trashed, but lenders either don't know or don't care that that's how it's supposed to work. So if you have suffered economic hardship, lost your job, you've had to keep your business closed, whatever, and you contact your creditors and you work out a deal with them on payment arrangements or anything like that before you would fall into delinquency, you have to have had good standing before that, then you are not to be reported as delinquent, period. And the law is clear as could be on this point. It's one of the things that is a special provision that affects how your payment patterns are reported to credit bureaus. So I've said to you before how key it is that you contact anyone you're not able to pay a bill on time. You're anticipating you're not going to be able to pay your rent. You're not going to be able to pay your credit card. You're not going to be able to pay this utility bill or that one or the other. Silence condemns you to difficulties. Actually being an advocate for yourself can clearly change the pattern. And many organizations, and I'm going to talk about the problems people have been having with banks another day. But anyway, many organizations have trained their people who you deal with on the phone or with online chats to offer you various accommodations. And then the second part of it, some of them are letting you down on. Once you've reached that accommodation, they're not supposed to report you as delinquent, period. Now, these provisions are in effect for much of the summer. They end at the end of July. But for now, the idea is to give you some time to get back up on your feet and not pile on by making 
additional problems for you by ruining your credit as you reestablish. Now, I wanted to tell you there's a wonderful briefing at nclc.org, nclc.org, in their digital library. They have a section, Major Consumer Protections Announced in Response to COVID-19. And it goes into each of the areas where Congress has taken an action involving what happens with debts, uh, what happens with student loans, what happens with your mortgage, evictions, all the rest. A lot of the information deals with state-specific aspects where there will be things that the federal law is silent on, but different states have provided various levels of protections for people who've been impacted by unemployment or loss of income in various circumstances. Again, you can find that at nclc.org and then go to their library section and you'll see the major consumer protections that are available for you. Uh, if you got a question for me, I want you to go to clark.com ask and post it. And then producers Kim and Joel alternate asking your questions. And who's up next? Clark, it's me. And Helena in Texas has this question. She says, I still don't understand the food shortage due to families eating at home. Where's all the food that we would have been eating at restaurants and schools and other facilities? Wouldn't it be the same amount, but just in different places? You are 100% correct. So try to imagine this. The distribution channel for supermarkets and the distribution channel for restaurants and institutional organizations, they're completely separate from each other. And there are special waivers that allow for bulk restaurant items to be sold to the general public right now. I don't know when that waiver exists that that can be done because there are different requirements for labeling and other things. And so that required a waiver. For reasons that are more complicated than I can really understand, it's been very difficult to move those items from the institutional restaurant channel to the supermarket kind of channel. Now, I got a tip from a guy just several days ago that was interesting. So in most midsize and large metro areas, there are restaurant distributors that generally are, well, they're not open to the public, but you may be eligible uh, a number of different ways, depending on the local restaurant distributor companies, to have a membership with them. Usually the memberships are free, and then you can go to one of their facilities or do an online order, and you're buying things in huge quantities. You'd have to be willing to have things in huge quantities, uh, very, very large sizes of every kind of food item you could think of. But it would help the farmers a lot. It would help the distributors a lot. It would help you by getting a ready supply of food that has been oversupplied on the restaurant and institutional side and in shortage in the supermarket side. I guess the only loser in that would be the supermarkets. Kim? 
Brian in Indiana says, with the new COVID-19 law that allows us to make a withdrawal from our 401k, could I take advantage of that by withdrawing $15,000 from it to pay back my previous 401k loan? I see it as taking it out and putting it right back and freeing up about $400 a month in my life and then the money's back within my account. What do you think? Oh, and by the way, it would shave 2.5 years off of the payments I have left. Wow. Uh, No one has asked me a question like that. I assume that the uh, if you wanted to pull money out, that your 401k plan would effectively make the first dollars you pull out be money that comes out to satisfy the loan, which would be what you're trying to do anyway. So if that is a priority for you, you could do that. Uh, Now, remember, if you pay off the loan, what happens is that money is effectively being reinvested in your 401k. So you're not actually net withdrawing money. So it's going to depend on how you ask the question from your 401k administrator that they understand what you're trying to do. And I would just say straight out, you're trying to use the special provision to pull money from your 401k penalty-free and your purpose for it is to pay off the outstanding 401k loan, what's the right way to do it? And uh, I would imagine that the administrator would be able pretty easily to help you accomplish that. Joel? Clark Steve in Minnesota says, is an automatic extension being granted for expiring passports right now? No. Um, You... Although you can fly with an expired driver's license temporarily as your ID, you still need to have a passport. Passports are being issued. You just have to, um, I guess, socially distance getting passport photos. And other than that, you are able to submit your application. If you're renewing a passport, it can be done completely through the mail without having to have contact with others unless you are someone renewing a passport of a minor child. There are provisions where you have to go potentially in person. But you should be able to do that renewal totally contactless. The State Department says right now their standard answer that passport renewals are taking six to eight weeks. I don't know how in the world it could be taking that long right now unless they have very little staff available, because as best I can tell, nobody's really jumping for joy about booking an international trip and needing a passport. Kim? Denise in Georgia says, I was employed as a substitute teacher, and due to COVID-19, the school shut down. The county filed unemployment on my behalf. I do not need these benefits, nor do I want these benefits, and I've been trying to get in touch with the Department of Labor with no luck. How do I stop these benefits and return the money that I've received so far? Well, you were a sweetheart uh, wanting to return this money. But as far as the money you're receiving, now technically in many states, you have to Uh, essentially reapply every week for unemployment. You have to restate with your state that you are still unemployed and actively seeking work. In theory, once you do that, the check should stop. The unemployment should stop. 
Now, depending on the procedure your state's using, with unemployment claims being initiated by the employer, it may be that until that employer says that um, that you're recalled to work, that the money would, in fact, continue. And you can't reach people at the customer service lines of most state unemployment offices. So for now, what I would do, we're getting to the point where the number of people initially applying for unemployment will steadily trail off. Just bide your time for maybe another three or four weeks. You should be able to reach somebody with your state unemployment office at that time. And if you wish to uh, find out the procedure for returning the money required in your state, you'll be able to find it out at that time. And again, that is a very kind thing you're doing because it certainly is not required under the law. Joel? Clark, speaking of trying to return some money, James in Utah says our daughter turned 17 in February of this year. We received $500 for her as part of the stimulus package. Should I be paying that back to the Treasury? Okay, so I may need help on this, but my memory is that if a child was uh, 16 or under at the beginning of the year, January 1st, that you are in fact eligible for the $500. I don't recall that a child's birthday occurring any day before the helicopter money, the stimulus check money was sent, that that would, on that date, create the ineligibility. Kim and Joel, do you remember anything different than what I'm saying? No, that's accurate because it's all based on previous year's taxes. And so if in 2019 the kid was eligible, that payment should be theirs. Thank you very much. And Kim, it's your turn. Anna in Georgia says, I'll be traveling home from Philadelphia in June with a kid that just had surgery. How do I choose a flight that is less likely to cancel? I don't want to have my kid have to sit at the airport any longer than necessary because I know they'll be very uncomfortable physically. What flights are likely to actually fly? So airlines have greatly reduced their schedules to what they are intending to fly. So um, the flights being made available are proving to be extraordinarily reliable. There seem to be very few what are known as economic cancellations at the last minute because the number of flights being offered is designed around the actual diminished demand that exists. So it would be an unusual circumstance that would cause you to have a flight cancel at the last minute. And I hope that the procedure goes extremely well. When you have a question for me, go to clark.com ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternating, asking your questions for you. And Joel, who you got? Clark, this one's from Edward in New Jersey. He says, please explain what the banks are doing with the deferral versus forbearance plans. If I read it correctly, it looks like I'm going to have a balloon payment due on the fourth month. Is that accurate? That is not accurate. So I assume we're talking about a mortgage. That is correct. So with a mortgage, the deal is uh, somewhere around, I think it's about 80% of mortgages behind the curtains are actually underwritten by the federal government. And under one of the coronavirus laws, 
you are eligible for forbearance on your mortgage and the lenders are doing in many cases an initial three months although the design was set up to be six months now if you get three months into this and you need more forbearance you contact the lender and don't wait till the last minute and they're supposed to then extend you to six months and at six months time there's now another decision tree a lender can if you need it extend you for another six months but in any case let's say you are okay back on your feet financially at three months or at six months or at 12 months what's supposed to happen then well the lenders are telling people that you're going to owe all that money all at once in a balloon payment that's not true that's only if you're in a position to do that otherwise the lender is supposed to accommodate you and the accommodation is in either a payment plan where over time you catch up on the missed payments or a restructuring of your loan that pops the three six or twelve months at the back end of your mortgage so let's say you were in a 30-year mortgage you would then essentially be in a 30-year three-month 30-year six-month or 31-year mortgage instead of what you originally had to make up that money Kim Cynthia in Minnesota says Clark I work for a big bank FYI I don't subscribe to their practices it's just a job for now and I'm able to work from home using my internet service can I go back to my employer and ask to be reimbursed for using my personal internet service for work purposes and what are the chances that they would do that at this point we don't have any other option in our company except for work from home all right so Thank you for asking the question, and we've been waiting for this question for weeks now. There's roughly somewhere around 30% of people are able to continue working from home. And if you, for the convenience of your employer, your employer has banned you from your work site, you're using your own equipment, your own internet connection, having a monthly allowance for your internet connection or a portion of it is a perfectly reasonable request but one your employer may not welcome. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.